Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, Amelia, we're a little late this year getting our Christmas stories done. Yes. Yeah, kind of like way late. Yeah. I mean, it is I Christmas agree. night. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, you know, I guess better late than never. Mm -hmm. I agree. Okay. Have you had a good Christmas? Yes. I have. Santa brought you pretty much everything you wanted? I think so. All right. Yeah, actually, he did. Well, then, want to get on with these stories? This will be the fourth year in a row that we've done this. Wow. Sure. So Amelia Thomas and I are going to be reading some old Christmas favorites. We're going to be starting out with one of our favorite, The Polar Express by Chris Van Allsburg. Ready to hop on The Polar Express, Amelia? Yep. On Christmas Eve, many years ago, I lay quietly in my bed. I did not rustle the sheets. I breathed slowly and silently. I was listening for a sound. A sound a friend had told me I'd never hear. The ringing bells of Santa's sleigh. There is no Santa, my friend had insisted, but I knew he was wrong. Late that night, I did hear sounds, though not of ringing bells. From outside came the sounds of hissing steam and squeaking metal. I looked through my window and saw a train standing perfectly still in front of my house. It was wrapped in an apron of steam. Snowflakes fell lightly around it. A conductor stood at the open door of one of the cars. He took a large pocket watch from his vest, then looked up at my window. I put on my slippers and robe. I tiptoed downstairs and out the door. All aboard! The conductor cried out. I ran up to him. Well? He said. Are you coming? Where? I asked. Why, to the North Pole, of course, was his answer. This is the Polar Express. I took his outstretched hand, and he pulled me aboard. The train was filled with other children, all in their pajamas and nightgowns. We sang Christmas carols and ate candies with nougat centers as white as snow. We drank hot cocoa as thick and rich as melted chocolate bars. Outside, the lights of towns and villages flickered in the distance as the Polar Express raced northward. Soon there were no more lights to be seen. We traveled through cold, dark forests where lean wolves roamed and white-tailed rabbits hid from our train as it thundered through the quiet wilderness. 
We climbed mountains so high it seemed as if we would scrape the moon. But the Polar Express never slowed down. Faster and faster we ran along, rolling over peaks and through valleys like a car on a roller coaster. The mountains turned into hills, the hills to snow-covered plains. We crossed a barren desert of ice, the Great Polar Ice Cap. Lights appeared in the distance. They looked like the lights of a strange ocean liner sailing on a frozen sea. There, said the conductor, is the North Pole. Look, shouted one of the children. The elves! Outside we saw hundreds of elves. As our train drew closer to the center of the North Pole, we slowed to a crawl. So crowded were the streets with Santa's helpers. When the Polar Express could go no farther, we stopped, and the conductor led us outside. We pressed through the crowd to the edge of a large open circle. In front of us stood Santa's sleigh. The reindeer were excited. They pranced and paced, ringing the silver sleigh bells that hung from their harnesses. It was a magical sound, like nothing I'd ever heard. Across the circle, the elves moved apart, and Santa Claus appeared. The elves cheered wildly. <coughs> he marched over to us, and pointing to me, said, Let's have this fellow here. He jumped into his sleigh. The conductor handed me up. I sat on Santa's knee, and he asked, now, what would you like for Christmas? I knew I could have any gift I could imagine, but the thing I wanted most for Christmas was not inside Santa's giant bag. What I wanted more than anything was one silver bell from Santa's sleigh. When I asked, Santa smiled. Then he gave me a hug and told an elf to cut a bell from a reindeer's harness. The elf tossed it up to Santa. He stood holding the bell high above him and called out, The first gift of Christmas! A clock struck midnight as the elves roared their approval. <laughs> Santa handed the bell to me, and I put it in my bathrobe pocket. The conductor helped me down from the sleigh. Santa shouted out the reindeer's names and cracked his whip. His team charged forward and climbed into the air. Santa circled once above us, then disappeared in the cold, dark polar sky. As soon as we were back inside the Polar Express, the other children asked to see the bell. I reached into my pocket, but the only thing I felt was a hole. I had lost the silver bell from Santa Claus's sleigh. Let's hurry outside and look for it, one of the children said. But the train gave a sudden lurch and started moving. We were on our way home. It broke my heart to lose the bell. When the train reached my house, I sadly left the other children. I stood at my doorway and waved goodbye. The conductor said something from the moving train, but I couldn't hear him. What? I yelled out. He cupped his hands around his mouth. Merry Christmas! He shouted. The Polar Express let out a loud blast from its whistle and sped away. On Christmas morning, my little sister Sarah and I opened our presents. When it looked as if everything had been unwrapped, Sarah found one last small box behind the tree. It had my name on it. Inside was the silver bell. There was a note.
Found this on the seat of my sleigh. Fix that hole in your pocket. Signed, Mr. C. I shook the bell. It made the most beautiful sound my sister and I had ever heard. But my mother said, Oh, that's too bad. Yes, said my father. It's broken. When I'd shaken the bell, my parents had not heard a sound. At one time, most of my friends could hear the bell. But as years passed, it fell silent for all of them. Even Sarah found one Christmas that she could no longer hear its sweet sound. Though I've grown old, the bell still rings for me, as it does for all who truly believe. And thus ends the Polar Express. Love that story, don't you, Amelia? Yes, I do. So next book, we've been reading this one pretty much every year. I like this story. I'd never gotten it before, and your mom got it for you? I think so. Santa Calls by William Joyce. It's kind of a fun little adventure story. Art Atchison Amesworth was a very singular boy. Orphaned at an early age by a gang of desperados, he had applied himself wholeheartedly to the making of inventions, the quest for adventure, and the fighting and smashing of crime. But despite all his bravery and bravado, there was, since the loss of his parents, a sadness in art that could never be touched and a loneliness that was always with him. He lived in Abilene, Texas, with his aunt and uncle, who ran a Wild West show and animal phantasmagoria. He had a best friend, Spalding Littlefeets, a young Comanche brave. He also had a little sister named Esther. If Art had one flaw, it was that he was often mean to his sister Esther. But that was all before the amazing Christmas of 1908, before the extraordinary adventure, before the mysterious box arrived and changed young Art forever. They found the box outside their prairie laboratory one dusty December day just before Christmas. No one knew how long it had gotten there. And the only clue to its origins was a large S. C. stamped on one side. Holy mackerel, said Art. What a mystery. I suggest we examine it scientifically, said Spaulding. And so using the most scientific method at their disposal, they poked the box with a stick. A note instantly emerged. It read, Open the box. Assemble the contents. Come north. Yours, S. C. By the rings of Saturn, cried Art, examining the box with a magnifying glass of his own design. It's from Santa Claus himself. Spaulding stepped closer and whispered, You mean, yes, said Art. Gee whiz, sighed Esther in awe. Santa calls. Inside their prairie laboratory, Art and Spaulding set about opening the box. They poked and pried and pushed and shoved, but nothing worked. I wish it would open, said Esther. The box rattled, then shook, then quaked, then opened. They were thunderstruck. It appears to be a flying machine, said Spaulding. To fly north in, said Art. To see Santa, said Spaulding. But why, wondered Art. Esther smiled, but said nothing. For three days they worked feverishly, 
the basket they were to ride in was broken, so Spalding lent his beloved canoe to the cause, and by dawn on Christmas Eve, the Yuletide Flyer, as they christened the amazing machine, was ready to fly. At first, Art refused to let Esther make the trip. You're too little to come, he told her as he prepared to leave. I'll tell if you don't let me go, she threatened. Art gazed at her squarely and said, You know an Amesworth never tells. Esther watched solemnly as Spalding started the engine. A single tear trickled down her cheek. Oh, all right, get in, Art relented. You won't be sorry, she said, jumping aboard. To the pole, shouted Art, and they lifted away undetected into the northern skies toward the icy unknown. By afternoon, using a compass of his own design, Art piloted them to the polar ice cap at the very top of the world. I wonder why Santa has called for us, said Spaulding as he reached for a blanket. To solve an Arctic crime wave, I'd imagine, said Art as he popped a candy into his mouth. They all grew quiet. There just ahead was the North Pole shining through the clouds. It was the most extraordinary thing they had ever seen. Their descent was graceful, but their landing was a catastrophe. The Yuletide flyer spun wildly out of control. We appear to be up an Arctic creek without a paddle, said Spaulding as they crashed into the very base of the Great Pole. We may be down, but we're not out, said Art, scanning the endless icy horizon with a spyglass of his own design. A man in a dogless sled sped toward them. I am Ali Aku, captain of the Santarian Guard, he announced, jumping from the sled. Step lively now, there's no time to waste. Darkness falls quickly here, and with it come the dark elves and their evil queen. What are dark elves? asked Spaulding, climbing aboard. Trouble, said Ali Aku, as he gunned the sled across the frozen tundra. Within minutes, twilight was upon them, and with it an attacking army of dark elves. Seize them! screamed the queen. A barrage of snowballs filled the air. With ice spheres and slingshot, Art and Spaulding scattered the elves like ninepins. And Esther, little Esther, scored a direct hit on the dark queen herself. Good shot, said Art. Top notch, absolutely bully. Esther smiled. It was the first nice thing Art had said to her for over a month. Straight ahead to Toyland, yelled Aliaku, and their sled soared up into the sky. You've not seen the last of me, little girl, screeched the queen. But Esther hardly heard her, for the glowing lights of Toyland were now in sight. Toyland was everything they wished for and more than they ever dreamed possible. Creatures of every continent and people from every land brought together for one purpose and one purpose only, pronounced Aliaku, to make toys. But why has Santa sent for us? asked Art. I know not, replied Ali, as he steered them to an open square in the heart of the metropolis. Now we go to bed, said Ali. You must always go to bed before you see Santa. It's the rule. Escorted by a troop of splendidly uniformed dogs, a galloping bed appeared. The Canine Brigade, 
remarked Allie. Santa's personal pets. To receive one is the highest honor in Toyland. To Santa and step on it, he commanded, and the bed sprinted through the shimmering streets. By the moons of Jupiter, this is a swell place, said Art, wishing more than anything in the world to someday have a pup of the canine brigade. Then, from the great hall of Santa, Mrs. Claus rushed out to welcome them. We must bustle, she said, smiling. Santa is waiting. Mrs. Claus led them into an enormous room. Drums rolled. Aliakou bowed. The room grew quiet. And there stood Santa. If ever there was a man about whom there was an unmistakable air of mirth and magic, it was this dashing rotund fellow who stood before them now. He was every inch a Santa Claus. Balding, Art, and dear little Esther, said Santa, it's Christmas Eve, and you're just in time. He stepped down from the globe of good children and waved them closer. Shall we take a ride? Yes, cried Esther. The two boys could only nod speechless. Santa snapped his fingers, and the Christmas sleigh was brought forth. Santa hoisted the children aboard. Why in the name of Neptune did you call for us? asked Art. Santa chuckled. <laughs> he smiled at Esther and put his hand on Art's shoulder. Mr. Amesworth, for now, just enjoy the ride. Then Santa cracked his whip. The sleigh took flight and shot out over Toyland. Trumpets blared, flags waved, thousands cheered. And above it all, Santa's voice rang loud and clear. Merry Christmas, one and all! Merry Christmas! As they flew away, a balloon unlike the others swerved into their path. The sky grew thick with snowballs as a cluster of dark elves swept aboard and plucked Esther from the sleigh. Esther! shouted Art, reaching for her. The queen squealed with delight <coughs> as they vanished into the clouds. Call out the guard and attack the queen's castle, commanded Santa. Esther must be saved. Wait! shouted Art urgently for he felt something he had not felt for a very long time. She's my sister, and I will save her. Do the elves have a weakness? Candy, replied Santa. Art's eyebrows shot up. Aha, he said. I have a new invention. Allie, Spaulding, I need your help. And so, under cover of darkness, Art, Spaulding, and Ali Aku crept into the fearsome castle of the Dark Queen. They found Esther soon enough, held prisoner before a giant boiling cauldron, encircled by an army of dark elves chanting, Gimme! 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 It's the only word in their language, whispered Ali Aku. Unhand my sister, you arctic ruffians, Art shouted, rushing forward and hurling a candy bomb of his own design. There was a loud explosion. Boom! Smoke filled the room. Candy rained down as the dark elves scattered. Up the tower steps dashed Art and his stalwart band with the queen and her elves in hot pursuit. I've still got one trick up my sleeve, panted Art. What? Whispered Esther. Licorice, Art replied as he quickly passed out supplies of the wretched black candy. No villain in the world can resist it. The dark horde surged closer. 
You can't escape me now, sneered the queen. Let them have it, shouted Art, and they let loose their bitter barrage. Licorice, squealed the queen helplessly. The dark elves clamored greedily for the candy. All was chaos. Then a great jovial laugh pierced the commotion. <laughs> there at the top of the stairs, they could just make out the silhouette of Santa. Well, just in a Saint Nick of time, said Art as he grabbed Esther's hand and helped her away. Thanks for coming to get me, said Esther to her brother as they climbed aboard the sleigh. Art was quiet for a moment. Well, Christmas wouldn't be the same without you around, he said. He squeezed her hand. Besides, you're too good a shot to leave behind. Esther smiled. Santa laughed. <laughs> Mr. Amesworth, he said, Merry Christmas to you. And he cracked his whip. What's our first stop, Mrs. Claus? Abilene, Texas, she replied. And the sleigh took off. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Art held his sister tightly as whatever sadness and loneliness he had ever felt melted away, and the man in the moon himself seemed to bid them farewell. The world is more full of wonders than I ever knew, he said in a whisper. In no time they were home. Suddenly Art, Esther, and Spaulding were very sleepy. What's happening? asked Esther. Nothing to worry about said Mrs. Claus as the children were carried quietly into the house. Just a little Christmas magic, added Ali Aku. As they were being tucked into bed, Santa asked, Did you enjoy the ride, Mr. Amesworth? Very much, said Art, fighting to stay awake. But why did you call for us? Santa didn't answer. Then as Art drifted to sleep, he heard Santa say softly, Good night, my fine, brave children. Merry Christmas dreams. The next morning they awoke with a start. Was it all just a dream? wondered Spaulding. I hope not, said Esther. I'd bet the farm it wasn't, said Art, and rushed outside. By the prairie laboratory, in the very spot where they'd first found Santa's mysterious box, there sat a splendid new canoe for Spaulding, with Yuletide Flyer Two painted on its side. For Art, there was a handsome puppy of the Canine Brigade, and for Esther, there was only an envelope. By the stars above, sang Art, picking up his pup, it's all true. 
An amazing man, that Santa, said Spaulding as he examined his canoe. Esther opened her envelope. Inside were two letters. She looked them over eagerly, then tucked them into her robe. She was grinning from ear to ear. Is that all you got? Just some letters? asked Spaulding. Oh, it's much more than that, replied Esther. What did they say, sis? asked Art excitedly. Still grinning, she looked Art squarely in the eye and said, You know a name's worth never tells. Right you are, said Art, laughing. Come on, let's play with the pup. And play they did, happily, joyfully, till sunset and beyond. As they rested under the evening sky, Spaulding wondered aloud, We still don't know why Santa called for us. Yep, said Art, but we did have a swell time, didn't we, Esther? Esther nodded. Supper's ready, called Auntie Amesworth from the kitchen porch. They ran inside to the warmth of their house, and they were happy. Each one of them. They'd smashed a crime with a new invention. They'd had a great adventure. And Art and Esther were now at last friends. And on that Christmas day, all was right with their world. And turning the page, we see the two letters that Esther received. One from an envelope with a return address of Esther Amesworth, Amesworth Ranch, Abilene, Texas, USA, addressed to Mr. Santa Claus, North Pole. And the letter reads, Dear Santa, you can send me toys if you like, but what I really wish for is for my brother, Art, to be my friend. Yours, Esther Amesworth. And the other letter is addressed to Miss Esther Amesworth, Amesworth Ranch, Abilene, Texas, USA. Return address, S.C. Dear Esther, such a rare and wonderful request could not be refused. I'm glad our little adventure did the trick. S.C. And now for our third and last book, Findus at Christmas. Uh, by Sven Nordqvist, and I really hope I don't offend any people from Sweden with my very poor accent, but I'm going to do my best when I read the part of Petson. And you will be Fendus the cat? Yes. All right. Milder weather at last. For days, Petson had meant to go shopping, but it had been so cold he'd hardly dared stick his nose out of the door. It was the day before Christmas Eve, and barely a crumb was left in the cottage. Today was really the last chance to buy the Christmas food, and fell the Christmas tree, and bake the gingerbread, and fix everything that needed to be fixed for Christmas. Findus the cat had just found the Christmas tree stand. Now he stood at the door with his nose in the crack, and waited for the old man to open. Come on, Petson, he called. Let's get the tree. They had already chosen a fine little tree in the forest weeks ago. But it was a long way to go. That can wait, said Petson. We should get to the shop first and buy Christmas food. But first I'm going to shovel snow. They went outside and Petson cleared paths to the hen house and the tool shed and the outside loo and the wood shed. We can gather some fir branches to spread on the doorstep while we're at it, said the old man. You coming, Findus? If I get to ride. He was already at the wood shed where the axe and the sled were kept. With a cat in tow, Petson plodded up the hillside behind the tool shed. 
Here and there he cut some fir branches and laid them on the sled. When it was full, they turned to go back down again. But all of a sudden, Petson slipped on a stone. The sled flew forwards and hit the old man in the back of his knee so that he fell back on the branches. Gathering speed down the slope, the sled hurtled straight into the stone wall and tipped over. The cat was thrilled and whooped. Again! But the old man didn't find it quite so amusing. Moaning and groaning, he struggled up out of the snow. Oh, oh, ow, he cried. I'm hurt. I can't stand on my foot. He whimpered and wailed and said a whole lot of words you're not meant to. The cat was dumbfounded. You mustn't swear the day before Christmas Eve, was all he could think of saying. Petson managed to drag himself into the kitchen where he sat down to examine his foot. What rotten luck! I hope it gets better before closing time so we can buy our Christmas food, he sighed. And to think we had so much to do. Cut the tree and scrub the kitchen floor and... Yes, I'll do that! The cat yelled. In the blink of an eye, he whipped out the mop, bucket, and brush. Mmm, the old man was doubtful. He remembered what had happened last time. All right, just this once, but promise you'll dry up properly afterwards. Yes, the cat promised. Lots of water. Petson poured warm water from the pan on the stove and added a lump of soap. Let me get out of the way first, he said, hopping up as fast as he could onto the kitchen sofa. No sooner had he lifted his feet than water came slooshing across the kitchen floor. Findus had kicked the bucket over, and using the scrubbing brush as his surfboard, he spurted over Kitchen Bay. He was a great scrubbing brush surfer. Gliding on one leg and on his front paws, he zigzagged between the chair legs, making waves that flowed all the way to the kitchen door. Five minutes later, he was exhausted. All done now. He panted, flopping in onto a chair. Oh, no, you're not, little fellow. Far from it, said Petson. This time you have to dry up after yourself as well. I can't with this foot. Do it on your knees or something. I'm so tired. I'm only a little cat after all. Findus complained. Well, boo-hoo for you, Petson said. The cloth is under the kitchen sink. When you're finished, we'll bake gingerbread. It was nearly dark when Findus tossed the cloth to the floor and hopped up on the table. Finished! Hey, wake up! It's gingerbread time! He cried. Petson was nodding off on the sofa. They had made gingerbread biscuits the week before. The biscuits were all gone, but half the dough was saved in the larder. Or so Petson thought. But when he looked in the bowl, only a tiny blob was left. Well, I never. It shrunk, said Petson. Yes, does odd like that, Finda said. It just vanishes. Maybe a cat's been and had a nibble, Petson wondered. Maybe, said the cat. Or an old man, perhaps. It's possible, said the old man. Petson rolled out what little was left anyway. Findus cut out the biscuits and ate the in-between bits. It was almost enough to fill a baking tray. Then they drank coffee and ate the gingerbread biscuits. Silently, they sat and watched their reflections in the window against the darkness outside. It can get this quiet when things don't turn out the way you expect. Normally, on the day before Christmas Eve, they had such fun with all their Christmas preparations, baking, cooking, and tidying up. 
and now all they could do was sit and wait for Petson's foot to stop hurting. I don't think we can get to the shop today, and it's closed tomorrow. So much for Christmas food, said Petson gloomily. What do you mean? Fendus squeaked. No Christmas food, no porridge, no ham, no lutefisk, not a single teeny tiny sausage? Nope, but we'll manage. We can have eggs now and ham at Easter instead, and we've got potatoes and carrots and a can of sardines. Carrots on Christmas Eve? Yuck! Fendus groaned. Keep your fur on, said Petson. It could be worse. You'll still get your Christmas present. Fendus stopped his groaning and stared at him. What is it? He hissed. You'll find out tomorrow, Petson said. Now to make a big Christmas parcel out of this foot and go to bed. He pulled two thick warm socks on over his foot and a woolly sweater, then bound it up in a pair of long johns and tied it all up with string. It was quite a parcel. Now he looked really ill. The old man went to bed. Findus sat on his own watching the snowflakes. Was this really the day before Christmas Eve? It's the worst ever day before day, he thought. Worse even than a boring rotten Tuesday. But he'll get his Christmas present no matter what. Findus ran to fetch Petson's present and wrapped it in a tea towel and tied it with string. It was a potato peeler that he had found in the workshop. He felt much better after that. Next morning, Petson tried his foot again. It still hurt, but not as much. It's on the mend, he said. But I can't manage a Christmas tree today. What? shrieked Fendus. No Christmas tree? There won't be any Christmas left now. We'll see, maybe later, Petson suggested, although he didn't really believe it himself. He cooked porridge for breakfast. He didn't know how to cheer Fendus up. You could tell the cat was upset and disappointed because he was stuffing carrots into the Christmas tree stand. They ate without a word. They didn't even have milk for their porridge. Then there was a knock on the door and Axel peeked into the kitchen. Axel was Farmer Gustavsson's son. He often helped Petson with clearing snow and other heavy jobs. Merry Christmas, he said. I was going to shovel snow, but you've already done it. Then he saw Petson's bandaged foot. A parcel already? Yes, we start early here, Petson said, and he explained what had happened. You could be stuck all Christmas, Axel said. Is there anything you need? Do you have enough food and firewood? I'm sure we'll manage, Petson mumbled. But Findus could bear it no longer. Jumping up and down like the lid of a boiling saucepan, he fumed. We won't manage at all! We've got no food, no, just and no gingerbread, and no lutefisk, and no Christmas tree, and we're nearly out of wood, and we probably won't get any Christmas presents either. There, there, calm down, Petson hushed. We'll be all right. Although a drop of milk would be nice so we can make rice pudding at least, and some firewood if it's not too much trouble. Axel fetched lots of wood. Then he left, promising to come back soon with the milk. But Findus was still upset. Gloomy as a thundercloud, he sat in the corner and tugged the carrots out of the Christmas tree stand. He tried to screw in a log instead. That's how to make a Christmas tree, Petson said suddenly. The cat looked at him curiously. Can you make Christmas trees? He asked. Oh, yes, Petson told Findus what to do. The cat ran out and fetched the fir branches they had cut earlier. Then he ran to the workshop and got a big stick and a drill. Petson drilled holes all over the stick. 
Then he attached it to the stand, and they carried it all into the best room, where the Christmas tree normally stood. They stuck the branches into the holes they had made. When it was done, it almost looked like a real tree. Now for the decorations, Petson said. I wonder, are they in a box under the bed? You can wonder all you like, said Fendus. But that box is in the attic. The attic? But I can't get up there with this foot, Petson protested. And you can't open the door. Makes no difference to the box, said Fendus. It's up there, and that's that. Yes, well, let's think of something else then. See if you can find anything nice in the workshop. Anything glittery or red. I'll look in the house. Right you are, Long John Foot, said the cat and scampered off. Petson hobbled around looking in drawers and cupboards. He found some spoons and whisks, a watch, a thermometer, a porcelain cow, a little tin monkey, and some other trinkets. Findus came back with wood shavings, a bicycle lamp, a brush with old red paint on it, a spring and some other bits and bobs that he thought would look nice on a Christmas tree. Then Petson sat and tied red yarn to everything and made Christmas tree ornaments out of brightly colored magazines and wound wire around candle ends. When each new decoration was ready, Findus hung it up in the tree. Then with a knock on the door, Axel was back with the milk, and with him was Gustavson's wife, Elsa, carrying a big basket. Merry Christmas, Penson, said Elsa. Axel said you didn't have any food, so we brought some. How's your foot? Getting better, I think. Oh, you shouldn't have. You really are too kind, Petson fussed. But he took the basket all the same. Come in for coffee. Don't go and take Christmas away with you, he said. But I've nothing to serve with it. Why, it's all here. Look, said Elsa. And from the basket she took ham, brawn, red cabbage, meatballs, Christmas bread, ham broth, Christmas punch, gingerbread, and pastries. Petson was overcome by the sight of all this food. Oh, but you shouldn't have. And bread and broth for dipping. It's too much. You are too kind. Not at all, Elsa said. I'll put the coffee on, and you can fix the gingerbread. After a while, Farmer Gustafsson came by as well. He said he wanted to borrow a blowtorch, but really he was curious to see Petson's foot. So he sat down with a cup of coffee, and Petson had to explain all over again how he'd hit the stone wall. Just as they were about to leave, they saw old Mrs. Anderson waddling over the yard. She, too, had a basket with her. Merry Christmas, Petson, she said as she stamped off snow in the hall. Elsa said that you broke your leg and were out of food, so I thought I'd drop round with a little lutefisk and sausage. Petson fussed and thanked her and offered her a seat. Mrs. Anderson's Christmas sausages are delicious. Now I'd wish, I wish that I'd hurt my foot as well, Elsa said. So the Gustavsons stayed to sample the sausages. Soon it was time for bread and broth. As they were dunking away, more neighbors, the Lindgrens, arrived, and the kitchen was filled with Merry Christmas and talk and laughter. The Lindgrens wanted to see how Petson's leg was, and, well, they brought a little food because Mrs. Anderson had told them the news. And Petson thanked them and bobbed and bowed and made more coffee and offered around Anna's biscuits. Then the Johnsons came, and the Nilsen children, and everyone had a basket with them because they'd all heard how Petson had broken his leg and was marooned in his little cottage, freezing and starving. 
Not since his 60th birthday had Petson had so many people and voices in his kitchen, and that was a while ago. Findus thought the grown-ups talked too much and didn't play enough. He had to do his very best tricks just to get them to look his way for a moment. So when the children arrived, he took charge straight away and showed them the tree. Findus had put all the Christmas tree decorations at the bottom because he couldn't reach any higher. So the children helped to move them higher. Come and see the tree, they called. Findus and Petson made it themselves. Everyone crowded in saying, Ooh, how lovely! So that's how you make a Christmas tree! You're such a clever cat, Findus! And Petson and Findus agreed. Then the Gustavsons went home, and the others went too. Petson watched them through the window and heard their voices fade into the snowflakes. It was very, very quiet when everyone had left. After a while, it felt like normal again, only better. When it got dark, they lit the candles that the children had made and loaded the table with all the food they had been given. It was a Christmas feast to remember. Then they went into the best room and lit the tree and gave each other his Christmas presents. Findus got a yo-yo, and Petson got the tea towel package with the potato peeler. They listened to Christmas carols on the radio and watched the fire in the stove while the candles burned down, and Petson was happy. Oh, Findus, what a Christmas Eve it's been, first making a Christmas tree and decorating it with teaspoons and then visitors and all that good food, to think we have such kind neighbors. Findus didn't answer. He was asleep, but he was happy too, for sure. He was smiling in his sleep. And that's the end of Findus at Christmas. And that's also about the end of Christmas for us. It's getting a little late this evening. Yeah. <laughs> Had a pretty good day, though. Yes. Well, thank you all for listening. I'm George. I'm Amelia. And one, two, three. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas, everyone. everyone. 